0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Now, this week, we're going to be starting Chapter 14, Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback. And this chapter is pretty lengthy. We might end up actually making this a two-part episode just because of how long of a chapter it is. There's a lot to get through, and particularly, there's a lot in this episode that is going to be probably unfamiliar to anyone who has not read the books this is a chapter that has a lot of stuff really left out of the movies and so if you're a movie only person which I know we have a few that listen to the podcast that have only seen really the movies this might be a treat for you because there's stuff in here that you're you're not gonna really have heard before and so I'm really excited to dig into that, to to dive deeper into all of that. But first, I do want to say thank you to everyone who is new to listening to the podcast and has continued listening through if they've started listening in the last week. We did have an influx of downloads for the first time, and it looks like it kept going. And so if you are new and this is the first new episode that you're really listening to that has come out since you started listening – Thank you for listening. I appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that you have kept listening. And just, yes, thank you so much for listening. If you do enjoy the podcast, if you enjoy having me talk about Harry Potter in this capacity, please like the podcast on any of the platforms you're using. Give it a rating if you're able to on the Apple side of podcasts, you are able to leave a written review. If you have any criticism, I guess, or feedback, please uh, put it in there. But let me know what you guys think. I would love to see more reviews, more ratings. And if you do like it and share it, maybe on your social media or anything like that, please. And if you ever want to contribute anything to an episode, if you want to voice your opinion, if you want me to talk about something on an episode, if there is something that I've missed or a a point that you really enjoyed about a chapter, please email me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Now, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about was the reunion episode for HBO Max, where they're doing a reunion of the Harry Potter cast and crew for the 20-year anniversary, and one of the first images have come out of Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grant sitting in a room that is, I believe, in the London tour that you can go do to see a lot of the props and stuff from the movies. And they're sitting there in these chairs that looks like it's been set up in the Gryffindor common room, and it is exciting to see. I, it, it got me excited to a point that I didn't think I would really be excited about it. And that's really just because I don't enjoy the movies as much as I enjoy the books. But I do, on a base level, enjoy the movies. So don't get me wrong there. I do enjoy them. They're just not nearly as good as the books are to me, in my opinion. And that doesn't mean that that's true for anybody else. There are people who do enjoy the movies more than they enjoy the books. And that's okay. Okay. However, for me, I don't enjoy the movies more than I enjoy the books, and I wasn't expecting to get this excited about it. But that photo really just made me think that there maybe there is a possibility that they'll continue on in the Harry Potter universe. Maybe they'll do something with Cursed Child, which I don't care what anybody says. I enjoy Cursed Child, and anybody who keeps on saying it's a terrible book or whatever you want to call it, a play script, a whatever, it You're entitled to your opinion, but it honestly is not a bad piece of work. Like, I really enjoy it. I think it was a good additive to the universe. It was something more, and I thought it was good. I enjoyed being able to go back and and revisit some of the stuff that they do without really spoiling it for anybody who hasn't read or seen the play. I highly recommend it. No, it's not the original. It's not filled with what you would expect when it comes to being a Harry Potter book. And that's because it's not a Harry Potter book. It is just the script put into a book format for you to read. And so it's not going to be to everyone's tastes in the fact that it doesn't read like a book should read, if that makes sense. And I'm sorry it's vague, but I can't explain more of it without really ruining any of it. But I would, I would recommend you to, Go read it. I personally really enjoy it. And seeing this photo of the Golden Trio sitting in the common room, it just got me excited that maybe they would end up doing a movie about it. I don't see why they shouldn't. Now, I understand some of the reasonings why. You don't want to miss out on the revenue of the plays. And you might be afraid that a movie, which could undoubtedly, due to CGI, do more than a play could. I don't know that it would really take away because there are aspects to a play that people really enjoy, which is like being there alive, experiencing it for yourself firsthand in person and seeing it with your own eyeballs happening live versus going to a theater or sitting and watching it in your living room on the TV. And I don't know if a movie would take away from that. I personally don't think that it would. However, my opinion doesn't matter. I would pay to see both. I would go see the movie and I would still go see the play. But I understand the fear of it taking away from it. But I really hope that in the future it could lead to the original three coming back and repraising their roles and continuing on in that universe. And that's what it got me excited for, just thinking of those possibilities. And I know that was very long-winded for just a, a photograph. But yes, it did get me more excited than I originally expected to B, And yet now I can't wait for January 1st. If you guys are unfamiliar, again, it is HBO Max. They're doing a 20-year reunion special. I believe it's going to be exclusive on HBO Max January 1st. It's a wonderful way to ring in the new year. Now, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was something I've meant to talk about for a few episodes now, but I keep on pushing it off, and this is probably going to be one of the other things that contribute to this being a two-part episode, just because there are so many things that I ended up wanting to talk about. And this one is very random in regards to where we are in the series, but it was something that I thought was really interesting, and that is the topic of who got Harry his glasses. And... People want to bring up this argument of, well, maybe the Dursleys really weren't that bad because they got Harry his basic necessities, such as glasses. They got him these things that give him the ability to see instead of just leaving him as he was and letting him just struggle through his entire life not being able to see. And there is another conspiracy out there that is – Without ruining the plots to later series, there's a conspiracy out there that Harry is something that he ends up having to destroy in the last series. And I don't think this is true. And if you know what I'm talking about, great. If not, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to ruin it for you. However, the thing that people think that he is is something that would also affect people around him. And the reason I think this is incorrect is because not everyone around him is then influenced the same way that these other people were. And then to the argument of, well, it depends on how close you are to this person, either physically or emotionally. And I would say that Harry has Ron and Hermione and the other Weasleys, especially Mrs. Weasley, who are probably closer to him than anybody else and they are not affected in the way that you would expect them to be affected if Harry was what people think that he is. And again, I'm so sorry that that's vague. However, what I'm getting to is this, is that people think that because of that, the Dursleys were negatively impacted by that and that's why they treated Harry so terribly. My other defense to that question is this, or at least to that argument is this is if that was the case when Harry then left that situation should change which is what we see happen in the last book when this situation is usually brought up and people have to be around this situation and once they're removed from the situation you see their aspect change and that doesn't happen with the Dursleys when Harry leaves he still is treated like poop by them you saw the christmas present that he was given a 50 pence that is literally nothing like we're talking pennies is what he was given for christmas from the dursleys and he is nowhere near them he he is across the country now so if that was the case then you would have seen a significant change in them and there wasn't one so let's address this question again why did the dursleys get Harry glasses and naturally it has to be the Dursleys as far as we know and this is just based on the books alone. They are the only ones who have had contact with Harry as a child outside of the interactions that we had seen with him as a baby and being dropped off at the doorstep and the very few encounters that he had with witches and wizards while out with Petunia in public. Now I think Personally, them getting hairy glasses is an extremely selfish act on their part, and this is why. And you're going to be thinking, how does them getting hairy glasses make them selfish? They were so terrified of anyone finding out about any abnormality about Harry. They wanted to keep his existence a secret. They didn't want anybody knowing – not his existence, but his being a wizard – secret And none of that is new. We've seen all of that already play out in the first few chapters of the book. They went to great lengths to make sure that it was never found out that Harry had magical powers. And we know that they were even willing to go to the point, at least Vernon, was willing to go to the point that he would beat Harry to snuff it out of him. He says it himself. It's nothing that a good beating wouldn't fix or cure. So we know that Vernon is at least capable of going to an extreme to keep Harry's powers a secret. And when I say selfish, I mean it in this sense that they would go to the lengths of making sure that Harry has no reason whatsoever to depend on magical abilities to see in order to help him through everyday life. We already know that Harry has done... Accidental magic, such as removing the the glass when it came to his cousin, leaning up against the glass at the snake enclosure. We also know that he magically caused his hair to regrow or to make a sweater continuously shrink to not fit on him so he didn't have to wear it. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for them to expect that if Harry is having issues with seeing, that he wouldn't eventually start to... Depend on magic, whether accidentally or purposely, to correct his vision and people then maybe taking notice. And so I 100% could see the Dursleys going out and getting him glasses simply to continue the facade of Harry being a normal boy. They were so terrified of the world finding out about Harry's powers that they would do it not for Harry's benefit but for their own Thus, why I said they would selfishly do something like this. If you guys have a different take on it, a better, if you think it's a better take, if you guys have a different point of view on it, please email me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com Now, last week, we finished the chapter on Nicholas Flamel. We found out who he was. We found out What he was known for, how he was affiliated with Dumbledore, and we found out exactly what Fluffy is guarding, and thus what the trio believe Snape and Quirrell are working towards. Not Quirrell so much like working towards it as much as he is being forced to by Snape. And this is all, again, from the trio's point of view, the trio being Harry, Ron, and Hermione from their point of view. And at the end of this last Quidditch match that Snape was the referee of, Harry very quickly caught the snitch. And after the game, was in the changing room by himself, was getting ready to leave, and he had seen Snape coming out of the castle as he was walking up towards it. And I know it says it was sometime later that Harry was by the changing rooms, but there was something I wanted to point out, is everyone, including Snape, because he was the referee, was down here at the Quidditch pitch. And so what I'm trying to figure out is why Harry is now in the changing room by himself and why Snape had went to the castle to sneak back out of the castle. It's kind of weird. And I know, again, this could just be early writings, not really like just a thought out process completely. I don't know that whole sentence probably did not make sense right there. But what I'm saying is, looking from the outside in, that is a very strange series of events. Regardless, though, Snape was sneaking away from the castle. Harry hopped on his broom, followed him, and overheard a conversation between Snape and Quirrell. And it led to the suspicion of Snape and Quirrell, well, Snape forcing Quirrell to get past Fluffy now. The chapter itself ended with them saying to each other that the stone is only safe as long as Quirrell can resist Snape. And Ron says, well, it'll be gone by next Tuesday. And so now we start the 14th chapter. Again, Norbert, the Norwegian Ridgeback. And we have a few weeks now that pass, and we see that it starts out with them observing the fact that Quirrell must not have cracked. He was definitely getting paler, but it didn't seem as if he had cracked. Snape was still in a bad mood everywhere he went. Thus, they believed that the stone was still safe. So Sna- so Quirrell was somehow holding out. Now, every time that Ron, Harry, and Hermione were passing the door on the third floor corridor, they would stop to listen to see if Fluffy was still there Still either snoring, growling, whatever noises this giant three-headed dog would make to signify that it was still there and still guarding the trapdoor. They stopped to listen for it. Anytime that Harry had seen Quarrel in the corridors, he would give him a friendly smile to try and, I guess, encourage him. And every time somebody would then give Quarrel a hard time about his stuttering problem, Ron would start to tell them off. And so you see this effort being made to raise quarrel spirits. And we're coming up now to the end of the year almost. And we see that Hermione is busy making study timetables for not just herself, but for the other two. And Ron is giving her a hard time saying, why are you doing this? Like, why are you making this now? It's forever away. And Hermione says, it's 10 weeks. That's That's not ages. That's like 10 seconds, or it's like a second to Nicholas Flamel. And Ron says, but we're not 600 some years old. It's not going to be a second to us. And then he continues by saying, what do you need to make a timetable for? You already know it all. And she says, are you mad? You realize that we need to pass these exams to get into the second year. They're very important. I should have started studying a month ago. I don't know what's got into me. And it just makes me wonder if there have been cases where somebody did not pass their exams and what happens. And it might be explained later on when it comes to at least some of their – in the U.S. we would call them proficiency tests without giving away too much information. But we do know that there is upper-level testing in the higher grades, and I think those are talked about a little bit. But not to the extent of like what would happen if you were to not pass and all of that fun stuff. I don't know. But I do wonder if anybody has ever failed a grade here. And I know that like in the U.S., in our schooling systems, you can be held back and not just because of poor like work management or poor work results, but even just to help people who are not so socially developed as the kids around them. A, a parent can choose to potentially hold a student back in that capacity as well. And so it's actually a very common thing here in the US. And I can't speak to it in the UK because I don't know. But if somebody is in the UK and is listening or is knowledgeable of the UK school systems and you want to elaborate, please let me know. Talk at gmail.com. But it is interesting to think about what would happen here is if you had to retake your first year again. Uh, I don't think there are any examples in the books where we specifically see that. But back to the studying, we see that the teachers were on the same wavelength as Hermione in her thought process of studying. They were just piling on so much homework that the Easter holidays weren't anywhere close to as fun as the Christmas holidays, and it was just really hard for Ron and Harry to relax with Hermione constantly reciting like the 12 uses of dragon's blood, and she was practicing her wand movements, And I think that's really cool, too, to see that they're already talking about the 12 uses of Dragon's Blood in their first year. That seems like it would be almost, like, advanced for first years to be doing. Now, before we continue on, I do want to talk about what is on this previous page, which is a few depictions of dragon eggs, which are just really cool to look at. And the top of the page itself says dragon eggs, and it is kind of in a hand-drawn bracket. And it says, from dragon breeding for pleasure and profit, which we're going to see here in a moment is a book that Hagrid was looking through. And I'll try to quickly go through these eggs in their descriptions. The first one is the Hungarian horn tail, which just looks like a typical like chicken egg, but much larger and dark brown. The next is the Ukrainian iron belly, which is a scaly looking like turquoise pineapple, but it has what looks like long black thick hairs, which might actually be like claws or talons maybe coming out of the top, kind of making it look like it has a maybe like a faux hawk, actually, like a faux hawk haircut. The next is the Antipodean Opali, which looks like an ostrich egg, but on the bottom has a few cracks on it. It has a few little black specks here and there all over the egg. The next one is a Swedish short snout, which is another scaly looking one, but it's kind of like a pearles white and pink and it's starting with the egg shape like a teardrop shape with the widest part on the bottom and the narrowest part on the top and the scales are moving from the bottom to the top the next which is the heberdine black honestly looks like a black and purple tim burton radish that's literally the best way to describe it it is Longer than the other ones it looks like, and it's very furry, and it is purple and black, but out of the top of it, where it comes to a point, there are what looks like the branches of a tree in winter when there's no leaves on it, and you can kind of just see the twirls coming out at the end of the twigs. The next is the Peruvian viper tooth, which looks like a guitar pick when you're looking at it, and at a 2D image, you would think this was maybe a guitar pick. Or maybe a polished rock. And it looks like a rock that you would find if you went to like a souvenir stand in a state park. And you see those baskets of rocks that you can pay a stupid amount of money for. But this one is small blue. And it has some brown speckled here and there. And two brown lines moving from the lower left side across to the top right side. The next is the Chinese Fireball which is a very violent Red. It looks like it could be on fire on the inside, and it has a few elongated scales on it, but it doesn't look like it's completely covered in scales. The next is the Romanian Longhorn, which is just a long egg itself. It's, it's longer than it is wide, and it's green with a bunch of dark spots and specks and squiggles on it. Next is the Norwegian Ridgeback, and it is just a solid black egg. Like, literally, just think of a chicken egg, and it's black. That would be this egg. And then the last one on here is the common Welsh green, which is almost like an arrowhead shape. It's still rounded, so like a rounded arrowhead shape. Probably the second least egg-shaped one that is here. And it's brown with a few, like, green spots on it, but then it looks almost like teardrops that have fallen onto parchment have like splattered all over the eggshell itself. Then on the right side of the paper, there is a small measuring tape that is in inches and it looks like it's about a foot long. And if you were to hold it over to some of these eggs, some of them would probably be nine to 10 inches long. So these are really large eggs. And so back to our text, we see that Harry and Ron are growing exasperated with Hermione just constantly reciting the things that she is studying and practicing her wand movements. Ron bursts out one afternoon that he's never going to remember any of this, and he throws down his quill, and he's looking longingly out the library. There's really nice weather. It feels like summer is in the air now. And Harry was looking up Dittany in A Thousand Magical Herbs and Fungi, and I think that's really interesting. And this is a good place to note that this is the first time we also hear about Dittany because Dittany itself... And a part of it becomes very important in the last book. And it's something that you don't hear a whole lot about between now and then. And it's just cool that this is something that if you weren't paying attention, you could just very quickly read over this. And you'd get to the last book and be like, man, what is this? And why have we not heard about it before? Well, we have here in the very first book. So Harry is looking at this through this book. And he looks up. When he heard Ron say, Hagrid, what are you doing in the library? And so Hagrid comes into view, and he says, just looking." And he then asks them, what are you guys up to? He suddenly looks very suspicious at them. You're still not looking for Nicholas Flamel, are you? And Ron says very impressively, oh, we found him ages ago. And we know what the dog is guarding. The sorcerer's – and then Hagrid shushes him. He says, don't go shouting about it. What's the matter with you? And then Harry says, there are a few things that we wanted to ask you as a matter of fact about what's guarding the stone apart from Fluffy. And then Hagrid shushes him and says, listen, just come to see me later. I'm not promising I'm telling you anything, mind, but don't go rabbin' about it in here. Students aren't supposed to know. They'll think that I've told you. And Harry says, we'll see you later then. And so Hagrid then leaves. And Hermione's thinking, what was he hiding behind his back? Because he was standing there with something behind his back. And... She continues her question, do you think it had anything to do with the stone? And Ron says, I'm going to go see what he was looking at. And he comes back with a bunch of books and he slams them on the table and he says, dragons. Hagrid is looking up stuff about dragons. Look at these. Dragon species of Great Britain and Ireland from Egg to Inferno, a dragon keeper's guides. And then Harry says that he's always wanted a dragon. He told him the first time that they had ever met. And Ron says, "But it's against our laws. Dragon breeding was outlawed by the Warlocks Convention of 1709. Everyone knows that. Can we talk about how impressive that is? Like we're always on about how much Hermione knows. And Ron just spouts this off off the top of his head. And I'm sure that he probably learned it from his brother Charlie. His brother Charlie." Working with dragons in Romania, which has already been talked about, and it's going to be talked about again here in just a second. But think about how much Ron probably looks up to his two older brothers, especially as he was younger. And this is a thing that is very typical where younger brothers, when they're younger, look up to their older brothers. And if Charlie had been talking about dragons, studying about dragons, and just living this life in and around dragons now... And Ron is paying attention to these things and he's learning and he just spouts off this information. The dragon breeding was outlawed by the Warlocks Convention of 1709. This is the same stuff that when we see in later books that when it comes to like history of magic and Ron's just falling asleep in class because it's so boring to him and yet he can spout some of the most interesting stuff ever off as if it was just – Nothing. Like, like he knew all of it. And I know that he says, well, everyone knows that. But it's still very interesting to me that he also has some really good information in his head. But he continues his thought saying, If we're keeping dragons, it's hard to keep muggles from noticing. And besides, you can't tame dragons. It's dangerous. You should see the burns Charlie's got off the wild ones in Romania. But there aren't any wild dragons in Britain. And this is Harry asking a question now. And Ron says, of course there are, the common Welsh green and the Hebridean blacks. The Ministry of Magic has a job hushing them up, I can tell you. Our lot have to keep putting spells on muggles who have spotted them to make them forget. And so that's where we get to see, again, some of the beginnings of what we see later on in the series about memory magic and how it's implemented by the Ministry of Magic. And I think it's really cool to see that being just talked about now. So we see about an hour of time go by and they are now in front of Hagrid's door knocking on it. And they were surprised to see that all of the curtains to his hut were drawn closed. They hear Hagrid yell out, who is it, before letting them in and shutting the door very quickly behind them. It says that it was stifling hot inside. Even though it was such a warm day, there was a blazing fire in the grate. Now in the movies, this is a part that is kind of lumped together with another series that's coming up in this chapter and that is where they go to Hagrid's hut and see what they're about to see here but they have the two parts in this chapter that are separate which it'll make sense once we get to it all in one part there but the thing that I'm wanting to point out was in the movie they made it nighttime where here it is during the day so Hagrid asks them first you wanted to ask me something Harry says yes And he's thinking to himself, there's no point about beating around the bush. And so he says, we were wondering if you could tell us what was guarding the Sorcerer's Stone apart from Fluffy. And Hagrid is frowning. He he doesn't like that it's already here, that they're already asking about Fluffy right away. And he says, I can't tell you, even if I knew, I don't, and I wouldn't if I did. And he says that the stone itself was almost stolen out of Gringotts. I suppose you've worked all of that, though, haven't you? Beats me how you know anything about Fluffy in the first place. And then we see Hermione turn on her charm and she starts flattering Hagrid with things like, oh, come on, Hagrid, you might not want to tell us, but you do know, you know everything that goes on around here and it works. Hagrid actually breaks down, his his chest swells out and, and you can just see that he is proud to know a few things. Ron and Harry beam at Hermione and Hagrid then says, well, I don't suppose it could hurt to tell you that. Let's see, he borrowed Fluffy from me, then some of the teachers did enchantments, Professor Sprout, Professor Flitwick, Professor McGonagall, he took them off on his fingers, Professor Quirrell, and Dumbledore himself did something of course, and then hang on, I've forgotten someone, oh yeah, Professor Snape. And all three of them asked at the same time, Snape? Yeah, you're not still on about that, are you? Look, Snape helped protect the stone. He's not about to steal it, which we see that is almost word for word what is said in the movie. So Harry's thinking to himself now, and he knows that Ron and Hermione are probably thinking the same thing, that if Snape had been in on protecting the stone, it must have been easy to find out how the other teachers were then guarding it. He probably knew everything except it seemed coral spell and how to get past Fluffy. Harry then doubles up with Hagrid. You're the only one who knows how to get past Fluffy, aren't you? And you wouldn't tell anyone, would you? Not even one of the teachers? And then Hagrid says, Not a soul knows except me and Dumbledore. And he said that proudly. However, in the movie, we see him say, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. Harry then asks, Can we open a window? It's boiling in here. Hagrid says, I can't. And then Harry notices that he glances over at the fire Harry looks over at the fire then, too, and says, Hagrid, what's that? But he already knew what it was. In the heart of the fire, underneath the kettle, was a huge black egg. Ah, said Hagrid, fiddling nervously with his beard. That's er, but it was Ron who now interjected. He says, where did you get that, Hagrid? It must have cost you a fortune. Hagrid says that he actually won it. He says, last night, down in the village, having a few drinks, and got into a game of cards with a stranger. Think." he was actually quite glad to get rid of it to be honest and then Hermione asks but what are you going to do with it when it's hatched and Hagrid says well I've been doing some reading and got this book here out of the library dragon breeding for pleasure and profit it's a bit out of date of course but it's all in here keep the egg in the fire because the mothers breathe on them see and when it hatches feed it on a bucket of brandy mixed with chicken blood every half hour And see here how to recognize different eggs. What I've got there is a Norwegian Ridgeback. They're rare, them. And he looked very pleased with himself, but Hermione didn't. Hagrid, you live in a wooden house, she said. But Hagrid wasn't listening. He was humming merrily as he stoked the fire. And that is where we're going to leave this chapter for now. We're going to do the second half of this chapter next week. And so now I thought I would take this opportunity to pull out Finn I must said fantastic cruising again, fantastic beasts and where to find them. If anyone here is new and hasn't listened to any of the previous episodes, there is a duo of people, uh, the people who really got me into podcasting under the name of Fantastic Cruising, and they talk about all things cruising. You guys should definitely go give them a listen. However. I pulled out Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and this book is just, it's so cool. I have the illustrated version of it, and so it has these beautiful pictures along with the descriptions of all of these different fantastic creatures, and it's really unique in the fact that it has all of the dragons, their types, and then descriptions of them as well, and so we'll talk now about the Norwegian Ridgeback. So the page itself just has the title in the top right corner and the picture of the dragon itself in the center and on the right side of the dragon, the egg of the dragon with the baby dragon kind of making its way out of the egg. It's partially hatched. Its head is sticking out of the egg. And the picture itself is really cool. It is this brown, I would say probably light brown, dragon rearing up on its hind legs, its long neck pointing straight up into the air, and it's breathing fire out, and so his front two legs is up off the ground, and his tail is wrapped around behind him, and you can see it's probably being used maybe as a counterbalance for standing up on its feet, but it is light brown, but it appears darker than light brown because of the black ridges running all the way down its back. And you can definitely see why it would be called the Ridgeback. And I wish the book gave more of like a, a size, like comparison to something. I don't know how to, like a sizing, just to see how big or small it actually is. Now, underneath the picture, we have the description and it says, The Norwegian Ridgeback resembles the Horntail in most respects though instead of tail spikes it sports particularly prominent jet black ridges along its back exceptionally aggressive to its own kind the ridgeback is nowadays one of the rarer dragon breeds it has been known to attack most kinds of large land mammals and unusually for a dragon the ridgeback will also feed on water-dwelling creatures an unsubstantiated report alleges that a ridgeback carried off a whale calf Off the coast of Norway in 1802. Ridgeback eggs are black, and the young develop fire breathing abilities earlier than other breeds, at between one and three months. Now, a few things that we see from other sources that'll be coming up. I don't want to talk about it and give things away, but we do see some fire breathing ability whether this was just accelerated for the piece that it is in, we do see some sort of fire ability happening way before one month. We're talking within five minutes of being hatched. And again, without ruining where we're going to see all of this fun stuff, it happens. And I love the dragons. I love that aspect. And I really, one thing that I wanted to point out was what Ron had said about the ministry having to cover them up to Harry's astonishment at the fact that there were dragons there in England and just that whole aspect of having to keep them secret. And we see the same issue, and this is not really a spoiler, but it is something that is talked about before uh, earlier in the book. And we see it talked again, like more later on in the last book in regards to trolls. And then later on giants is that there is a huge effort in keeping them quiet from muggles. And when you think about those two things, like giants and trolls, probably more particularly giants being much larger than trolls, those already have to be hard enough to keep secret as they are just large. They're dumb and they really just don't care about anything. They will cause destruction. They will run through things. They will eat people if if like given the opportunity to, and I can really just see being a handful to cover up. Now, when you take a dragon, which is much bigger than these other creatures and can fly and breathe fire, like keeping that a secret has got to be a 24-7 job. And it'd be really funny to see if there was like a report in the Ministry of Magic of how many people... Or who there, I mean, there obviously has to be reports. There is record keeping. We know that if there is any kind of record keeping of who has undergone some form of memory changing or reversal, and I'm purposely leaving out the name for it, which I originally said and then said into the mic too oh, that's a spoiler alert. Let's edit that out. So just taking it back to memory modification i wonder if there's a record of anyone who has had their memory modified multiple times due to seeing dragons for example like the weasleys and the love goods and where they're located probably could be a very prime spot for seeing the common welsh greens and so i wonder if there are muggles in certain areas that are more prone to seeing dragons thus having to be i guess having their memory modified, having to, to go through that process multiple times. But I couldn't imagine – I can I can see why there are different aspects now to the ministry in the form of governments and the different positions and why they have to have just so much personnel doing so many things. And that's something we're going to dig into later on in the series is just all the different aspects of – The ministry and the different departments that they have. And that's not really a spoiler. I mean, that's pretty common sense, I think, to think if you have a form of government, then there are probably different branches or different departments in that government. And so we will cover that more thoroughly later on in the series. It's something that I think is very interesting. However, for now, that is going to do it for today's episode. And I know I said this in the beginning of the episode, but if you guys are liking the episodes, please like it, share it, talk to your friends about it, put it on social media and just thank you guys so much for listening. I wish I could segue into that better. I feel like I'm such an amateur still in some aspects when it comes to like, let's go from this area of conversation to this area of conversation, or let's wrap up an episode. I'm really need. I really need to get better at that. And so I apologize for my terrible segues. However, thank you guys so much for listening. You guys are amazing. My name's Tony. I'm your host. And this is common room talk.